And welcome back. It's episode 20 of the Athlete Ready Global podcast. I am your host, Jared Saavedra. Today, we got Coach Lee Taft. Coach Lee is a world-renowned speed coach and is highly respected in our industry. If you ask any coach who are your top three favorite speed coaches in the world to follow, I bet you they name Lee. In this episode, Lee and I talk about the broken system in today's youth sports and how we can improve it. I'm not a huge fan of just talking about our problems in our society or in sport or athletic performance without bringing solutions to the table. So if you're a performance coach, high school coach, AAU coach, parent of a youth basketball athlete, this is an episode you'll want to tap in on. If you think that you can, this can bring value to someone you know, someone you care about, please share it with them. Also, if you have not subscribed to our podcast, make sure you do. And on to the episode. All right, coach. Welcome to the Athlete Ready Global podcast, man. How are you doing? Very well, Jared. Thanks for having me. Been excited for this. Yeah, absolutely. So I know a lot of people in our industry obviously know who you are and, and all the work that you've done in you know performance and speed and agility, strength conditioning, whatever you want to call it. Um, for those who are listening that are maybe parents of youth athletes or youth athletes themselves or sport coaches, tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so my degree was phys ed. So I started out as a teacher back in 1989 and I, um, same here, by the way, uh, you're yeah, phys ed yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. So I think what happened was, uh, first of all, I grew up in a family. I'm the youngest of six. My brothers and sisters were teachers as well. My dad was in it for 44 years. Uh, teachers, coaches, you know, ADs, eventually a couple of them got into administration. And so I was following that path, but I also coached three sports. I, I grew up in a small school. I taught in a small school and several small schools. And, you know, you typically back then anyway, it was common. You, you just like the kids, you go from one sport to the next and you coached them. So I learned a lot about uh, number one, about coaching and about teaching and, and the different disciplines. And I also appreciated the value of all the different uh sports that I got involved with. So that was my, my heritage. That's how I started. Well, at the same time, I was always into strength and conditioning and especially the mm -hmm. aspect of speed and movement. And, and so I got into that very, very early 1991. Actually, I was at Voluntary's tennis Academy, which is now IMG. Most people know it as IMG. And uh, I was a strength and speed coach there. And, and then over the years, I've owned several, uh, speed academies and, uh, and do a lot of consulting now it kind of that's kind of the normal uh, organic flow of a career eventually you get into running more coaching clinics and things of that nature so that's a lot of what my business is now so yeah it's been fun what made you move to florida what, what because is that I'm about? A wimp. yeah because i'm a wimp and i can't take <laughs> cold weather anymore I grew, <laughs> I grew up i'd like to give you a a real good reason business now nah, i just i couldn't shovel any more snow i couldn't scrape ice off my windows and uh, we, uh, because I lived here prior and actually, so just prior to COVID, both my daughters were down here in college. Okay. So we kind of were like, you know, we want to go, we want to get out of the bad weather. Let's just go. So we actually moved at, during kind of the beginning of COVID. So yeah, that's, that's why we're here. Are you enjoying office. it so far? Love it. I'm a, it's funny. I talk to a lot of people, even when I walk, I'll see people they are like, you know, the humidity kills them. I love it. 
I, the hotter the better. I don't have any issue with it. I never did. I just don't want to be cold. So yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm loving it here. Absolutely. That's awesome for you. Um, so let's get into it, man. So yes, again, you know, people know you for your performance coaching, speed and agility, but I think, and even before a lot of the things that you've posted, I didn't realize how much of a passion you had for like youth sports kind of in general. And you've been talking a lot about kind of the, the broken model and youth sports now, I'd love to hear kind of, you know, what you think are problems, kind of issues. And then later on in the podcast, we're going to come back to it and kind of provide some solutions. So uh, give us your take on kind of the landscape of this, yeah. this current sports model. Yeah, no, I appreciate the, the time to be able to do that. And so I, I people who, have, who follow me have seen over the last few months, you know, I've been pretty aggressive with this. Well, this has been going on for 20 years of me trying to, cause I saw back in the eighties and most of the nineties, it wasn't too bad, but then I started to see the switch. And I think that's the advantage of being in it for as long as I have, is you kind of see things change. And so I started talking about it and, but I wasn't very aggressive with it. I was just giving my thoughts and people would kind of, you know, wave me off like, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so now, as I've learned from a lot of other people as well, and I start to see the damage that it's causing to the individual, okay, to the individual kid, not just school programs and, and uh, you know, other things, but to, to individual kids, families, parents, grandparents, relatives, uh, the effect that youth sports is having. So one of, the, one of the issues I have with what we call the youth sports model, so pick a sport, throw it in there. And we have these organizations um, such as like an AAU or each kind of sport has its own main organization. Not everybody is an AAU and AAU started out with a great idea. I mean, it really did. It was trying to promote kids who want to maybe get seen in their sport and have an opportunity to get in front of more people and maybe even just get better competition because these are better kids. But it was never designed to take an eight-year-old and and have them buy the latest greatest shoe and backpack and uniform and then go play on five games on a weekend four hours away that was not at its point but that's what it's turned into so the model itself in its infancy was good those who want to get more exposure and who are deserving of that like high level players go do it i remember way back guys like chris mullen I'm from New York. He's a New York guy. You know, Mark Jackson, a lot of these these guys in that area, they started to get into this thing called AAU back then so they could go play other top players. But these guys were the pro athletes, right? They just, they were on that path. But we've turned it into, well, we can make a lot of money off this as us adults, right? We can we can make a, a lot of money off, off these kids we can create these programs where parents have to now decide if you want your kid to go somewhere, you got to pay us a lot of money because we can get you there. So the model now has gone from this, you know, sports being free, sports being an opportunity to be socially developed and, and uh, develop cooperation and, and teamsmanship and stuff like that to now it's a high stress uh, environment where you, there's a lot of travel, there's a ton of money, and there's a lot of stress put on kids because there's a lot of travel and there's a lot of money. So we can dive into any area you want to go, but that's in a nutshell, that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing it kind of disrupt the family environment as well. And that's, that to me is sad. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about uh, sports specialization, how would you define that to a parent? Yes, as performance coaches, we know this, we know how to, you know, talk to our athletes about it, but how do you define early sports specialization with, with parents? Yeah. So I, I think um, there's a couple of ways to look at it. Number one, sports specialization is when we either say to our child, look at, you know, I know you're you know, in fourth grade, but you got to pick a sport. You know, you can't, if you want to reach mm-hmm. the pros or you want to get a college scholarship. So immediately reaching the pros, reaching college, college scholarships should never be mentioned to an elementary age kid. It just shouldn't happen. It's gonna organically happen if it's meant to be, right? We don't even know if these young kids wanna play that sport in four weeks, right? They could change their mind. Yeah, they could change their mind and play a different sport just like that. I mean, I did that all the time as a kid. Yep, so the specialization is when we start using the pressure of playing that sport more and more and more, so almost yearly, and pretty much developing the skill set maximally in that one sport and not bothering playing other sports. The other thing is, is they do that, but they also play some other sports. And neither one are great options because if I'm playing basketball year round and after basketball practice, I have to hustle real quick and go to hockey practice or soccer or volleyball practice or softball or whatever, that's not a healthy environment either because we're, we're putting too much volume and stress and intensity on these kids. So the specialization model we know works from the standpoint, if I do something enough, I'm going to get better at it. But that doesn't mean I can't get better at it another way. Okay. So if I practice writing cursive every day for the next year, yeah, I'm going to get better at it, but I'm probably not going to be as good at my typing skills, you know, on a computer. Cause I didn't, I didn't focus on that. So, but it doesn't mean I can't get good at cursive doing it once a week or, you know, maybe a three month block of time. I'm going to get better at it. Right. And the fact that I did some other things kind of helps me because it gives me a skill set, coordinative skill set. So when, when parents have their kids only do one thing and put all the eggs in one basket, we're like laying down a lot of money on a bet that there's a really good chance. It's not going to come through. We're going to lose out in the long run. And do you think when when uh, people say, because when I talk to uh, parents about this, especially, they say, oh, well, my kid just loves to play basketball. They just love doing this one particular thing. Um, do you necessarily, I don't want to say, obviously, they're not lying in particular, but right. do you think that there maybe have some bias towards that specific sport? Or do you think, what are some ways that you would implement some strategies with them or make them kind of question the way they're thinking so that they can be open to other, other opportunities to, to learn and get better. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So we don't want to discourage kids if they have a passion for something, but we want to be the adult in the room and say, you know, if you, you know, if you only eat ice cream all the time and that's your passion, right? That's not a healthy ending, right? That's not going to, that's not going to turn out well. Well, if you only play basketball at a young, young age and you don't sample other sports or even activities, I don't care if a kid plays an organized sport for a team, they could pick up skateboarding and downhill skiing and biking and hiking and different stuff that just gives them a different skill set, a different mental approach to addressing how to perform that, which is really important. That's solving problems. And that's important. If If we have the young kid who wants to play, let's say, soccer year-round, if we just say to them, look, there's going to be three months or two months for young kids, I like two-month periods of time, where we want you to play something different. If you want to go out at the driveway and 
kick the ball against the garage, absolutely, or shoot baskets, absolutely, do that. But we're not going to put you on a team right now. That's that's. Let's put that to bed for a couple months, and then you know try something different. Often, what happens is the kid doesn't lose lose the love for the sport. You know that basketball or that soccer, that's their passion. They don't lose that. It actually encourages it even more, and they look forward to coming back to it. So the absence actually builds a greater love for it. But the the act of playing something different and learning a different skill set grows their overall emotional, social, and physical development. So there's just at some point we have to be the adults and said, "Yeah, I know you want to do that, but we're just not going to let you do that. You have to sample something else." And but don't take it completely away from them. Still let them play with a soccer ball if that's what they want to do. What would you say some of the other consequences? I know you've mentioned it on your Facebook before that I was like, man, that's that's really that's a good point. What are some other consequences that that you would see with you know student athletes who do specialize at an early age that may not have to do with the the skill in particular that may have to do with other other factors and variables? Yeah, well, so first of all, we know that if we do something too much. What happens is we we hear about the overuse injury, right? But there's more to it than that because let me give you an example. If we look at a sport like cross-country running or just just running in, in distance running or track, it's very singular in its motion, in its action. So we can start to add it up and say, gosh, eventually they're going to probably develop some kind of stress injury because they're just doing the same thing all the time, especially at a young age. They're not getting any frontal plane or lateral movement or rotation. They're just getting. But if we look at a sport like basketball or soccer, it's so multi-directional. It, it does what we will do anyway. Like we're going to jump, we're going to change directions, we're going to backpedal, we're going to hip turn, we're going to get lower, get higher. We're going to do all, and that's a great thing. The problem is we do so much volume of it. Like you and I wouldn't take an athlete and say, hey, this weekend, Saturday to Sunday, we're going to train for an hour five times. You know, we're going to train, five, but but we'll do that in an AAU tournament or sometimes up to seven times in a, in a weekend. We wouldn't do that. It just doesn't make sense. But so what happens is we create this overuse because of over volume over just doing it too much. Not that a sport like basketball, even hockey, got a lot of change of direction. And even though there's some, there's some flaws that'll come about if you're in a boot all the time, 12 months out of the year, that'll cause some issues over time. You got to get your feet on the ground and have good, good movement. So what happens is we get those types of injuries that can be avoided simply by reducing the volume and adding another sport in there. The other things are the emotional injuries, the emotional and the social injuries. I want to go to my friend's house. All five of my best friends are hanging out and four of them, they're going to have a sleepover. They're going to watch a movie. They're going to watch, you know, the new Spider-Man and they're going to get, you know, they're going to get all the cool video games we're going to play beforehand. And I can't go because I got to go four hours with my dad who wants me to play in this tournament. So now they've been disengaged from social development and their friends. And now they look at this, this really cool sport and this fun sport as the enemy. That sport is taking me away from having popcorn and playing video games and watching, you know, the Spider-Man all night with my friends and in a sleepover. That's a dangerous game we're playing. Okay. We're seeing a lot of crazy things happen in this world. And if we don't understand 
youth sports environment and the high levels of stress we're allowing to be engaged in it on these young developing minds and they start to equate that stress as a negative and then anxiety and depression comes in people aren't looking at that jared and it's sad because youth sports isn't about youth in sport anymore it's about adults organizing young people to play the sport how they want it done and that's the big problem and that's the damage we're seeing no absolutely 100 percent. so what at what point let me give you an example and i'd love yep. to get your take on this if you had essentially uh, a whole pie how would you divvy up that pie between i mean if it was your youth athletic development model when it comes to performance and sport how would you divvy up that pie and how would it change over time from someone from a youth athlete in sixth grade all the way to their senior year if you had like the three factors of of skill development physical development and actual competition how would that pie change over that over that period of time yeah yeah that's a really good question and it, and it will depend on certain variables but i'm going to add something else to that and then i'll, I'll go directly at your question but first of all young kids need to sample. They need to sample as many sports as possible. And people will always ask me, when, when do they have to start specializing? I'm like, never. Only if they want to. And if they want to, then it becomes, you know, kind of the later half of high school. When you become a freshman in high school, play. I played four sports in high school. I was very fortunate. All my friends did. We played a lot of stuff. We were very successful. We had sectional and state and regional championships because all the all of us good athletes all played all the sports. So we were really successful and we had a great time with it. Now, if we're going to look at this performance model, I think like performance training, speed and agility, quickness, strength training, power, develop, all that stuff should never go away. It should always be there. It just, it, it modulates based on the, the, the season, how many games are being played. We, we adjust, right? But keeping the body healthy and fresh and recovered is really, really important. The skill development is the foundation at which allows higher level development to take place. So I want to do a move like, you know, like uh, Neymar or one of these amazing athletes can do with a soccer ball or, or Kyrie Irving dribbling the ball. Kyrie Irving will be the first one to tell you the fundamentals that he learned as a young kid. Michael Jordan, for those who, you know, watch Michael Jordan, realized he was one of the most fundamental basketball players that ever was. The things he did pivoting and turning and all the basic stuff. So the fundamentals should, should never go away. The competition shouldn't go away, but it has to change in variety. So, for example, do I think AAU is the worst thing in the world? No, I don't. I think the current model is really bad. I think AAU should be six weeks. Go get it. You want to play AAU? Go. Go ahead. Play your tournament. If you want to play six weeks of tournaments, go ahead. I don't think you should, but you can. You have that time, and then it's over. But I also think competition and the, the ability to compete and try your skills can be better served in a three-on-three -three environment, a five-on-five -five rec league. You and small I- Small-sided games. You, the physical education. Yeah, absolutely. Small sided games because I'm still going to get better. Do I need to play five on five if I'm a basketball player or 11 on 11 if I play, you know, American football or soccer, you know, soccer or do I have to have six people to play volleyball the, the normal way other than beach? Yeah, at points. But we can turn that into a rec model where we stay local. Or what I've always said 
USA basketball, AAU basketball, or the or alike, things like AAU, because there's other organizations, need to organize and help communities like rec centers in this community in high schools how to establish local competition that are fun. I don't have to travel any more than 20 minutes or a half hour at most to play another team. And it's a short six week lead, get great competition. They can teach us how to organize and register and educate parents and all that stuff. That stuff has to happen because competition is fun. I want to play against people. I love training. I love working on my skills on different things, but I want to, I like to play, right? I just don't want playing to cost me $6,000 to go in a team when I drive an hour and a half to two hours and I play the exact same team I played last week in a tournament down South. It didn't make any sense. Why are we doing that? It doesn't because if I want to get better, Jared, I got to get more athletic. I got to stay healthy. I got to improve my skills and I have to improve my tactical understanding of how to play the game. Like if you and I are doing a two on two, you set a screen for me. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to roll. You're going to pop. You're going to space. You're going to cut. We need to learn that and we can get that through competition. But this craziness of spending the amount of money. I just had a dad two, two three weeks ago tell me his middle school daughter's team the whole team, there's 10 girls have paid $70,000 combined oh to play. 7,000 per, per, and he was telling me this from a hotel, the organization spent $1,200 to be in. What's, what are we doing? That's really, what, middle school, middle school kids. That's there were seven crazy. Graders. Yeah, absolutely. Why, why? So it's, uh, as you can tell, it drives me bananas. <laughs> I just, I've got a ton of solutions, but we have to keep picking at the scab to make people emotional so they say, well, yeah, I guess that does it. Cause I've had a lot of converters, a lot of dads have really mad at me for a while. Then they kind of said, you know what? I see your point now. I really do. I, I just witnessed what you're talking about. So yeah, it's made no, absolutely. And what I've noticed too, is some of these, these youth athletes that are participating in these high level tournaments, they still don't have the fundamentals down whatsoever. It's like, they can't even dribble with their opposite hand and you see it. And it's like, and maybe the reason why, you know, these they're not getting better is because there, there is a lack of that skill development first. All they're doing is competing at a super high level, but we, we know that you're going to go back to and revert back to the things that you're more comfortable with your strengths. Um, when you're going against people that are really good that you end up yep. not developing the way that you want. That's right. So Jared, let me ask you a question. I don't pick, pick any sport you want. You're playing in a tournament. And there's quite a few people in the crowd. Maybe you're in the, you know, the semifinals or whatever, pretty big tournament. And you have a weak leg, maybe in soccer or a weak left hand in basketball. Are you going to practice that left hand during that in front of the crowd? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm going to stick. I'm, I'm a lefty. I'm going to stick to, you know, when you're playing against people and, and I've, and I've done it before and played in, in yep. AU and against some super high level people, um, in some of these tournaments. And yeah, I'm going to revert back to what I'm, I'm strong at. I'm lefty. I'm going to go left. I don't, I'm not going to feel comfortable going to my right against someone who's, you know, six, five, six, six, that's a shooting guard like me. That's right. Yeah, I'm going to, if that's I'm not right. comfortable with it. So yep. you're, but you're what okay. if I, what if I put you in a, in a closed gym, no one in the crowd, we got a bunch of athletes. Maybe I invited another team to come in and I broke you guys up into three and three. And I said, listen, if you score a basket with your non-dominant hand on a strong finish, you get two points versus one for a normal leg. What if I did that? Love Would it. you try it? Absolutely. Of course. You know, so the environment we can create to make a better product, a better athlete, have some fun with it. And because mom and dad and, and the, you know, the, the 
angry parent isn't sitting in the crowd and yelling at you because you missed a layup. You don't care. It's just like playing at the park. You don't. I played in so many parks growing up. I didn't care if I tried a 360 layup and I missed it because all my friends were the only ones there. And I didn't have to tell them, but I experimented and I tried new things. And that's how we grow. We figure out eventually our potential. And I'm like, yeah, I have no business trying a 360 layup. Uh, I, I'm better off doing a, an eight foot pull up jumper and tear dropping it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the problem. We are so overplayed P L A Y E D played that we, we no longer value the learning process. And the other thing is, Jared, if you and I played 60 off season games, we already played our 24 games during the high school season. Now we played 60. How much do you value the next game? You don't, you don't value. We lost by 20 in that game. I got four more games. Who cares? When I played, I played football. When football was towards the end, I was like, uh, I'm ready for it to be over because basketball is going to start. When basketball was getting towards the end, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready because track and tennis are going to start or baseball. And same thing. We don't have that anymore. And that's the problem with specialization. You lose that excitement of the new sport coming. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for performance coaches, more skill coaches in, in basketball, what are some models that you would, would recommend them for at least to research, you know, the, the TGFU model or, you know, change challenge choice, stuff like that, that, that you've learned in your physical education background, you know, talking about the things that you just did where you get two points. If you go to your opposite hand, what are some other like models or philosophies that that these coaches can look towards to be able to develop those skills in those small-sided games? Yeah, yeah. I, well, first of all, I think anything in, in the physical education realm of, of how to teach groups and stuff like that is really valuable because mm-hmm. you it's a long year. It's a long day. If you have seven, eight classes a day, you got, you're a performer. And so you've got to be creative. You've got to make it fun. you got to make it challenging. Kids have to aspire to be be uh, involved and be good at something and learn something. So that's a good one. I think in basketball, there's the models of like the point guard college, PGC. Uh, There's many other programs out there that do some really cool stuff in their competition. Like, um, you know, I'm a real big fan and I've, I've done this since my first year coaching back in, you know, 1989 is I've done a lot of like king of the court or queen of the court but we change the value of it. Like we always are chasing. So if it's three on three, king of the court, queen of the court, which for the listeners means if I'm on offense and the coach is underneath the basket or on the bay and they throw a ball out to one of my three teammates or two other teammates, and then the three defenders on the baseline have to come out and guard us and we play. And whatever the rules is, my rule sometimes is if you don't score, even if you get the rebound, you're off because you get to value that first shot. Other times, they just play to the points over. Well, if the defense wins, they're the new kings or queens. I go to the end of the line, and we come up, and then we play for maybe five to eight minutes, and we have a point value. Now, I could say offensive rebounds is three points. So what do you think everybody's going to really hustle for, right? Offensive rebound. Or I could say getting a tipped ball has a point value to it. You can get, gain a point. Plus, you can still get the steal, which gives you another point. And so we would add all these different rules to it. Here's another one, uh, Jared, and this is really important, is when I have a kid who catches the ball and just immediately passes and doesn't look at the, at the rim, 
that's a turnover. You're off because you were, you did nothing. Uh, I like help. that. Yeah, you didn't do anything like to that. help your team be aggressive. I don't care if you shoot it. I don't even care if you finish at the rim, but you have to be aggressive and maybe attack a gap to create some other action to happen. So we start to make these players who are a little bit passive become very aggressive. And then we teach them what it means to, because I don't, it doesn't mean I want every kid to go one-on-one and shoot every time. I just want you to create something. I give point values to certain players if they get their foot in the paint. So if you can sit the paint, get into the paint, and then kick it out for a three or drop it off on a rotating post player who's man help, man, I jump and I cheer for that. So players automatically see the value I put on playing the game the right way, but you got to put a, a competitive point value on it. Otherwise they're like, oh yeah, so I got a tip that, you know, who cares, you know, they don't. So that's how we would do it. Stuff like that. That's and awesome. I think, that's a great yeah. idea. I haven't, I haven't well, heard and some here's of the other thing that's really good. So there's resources out there that I, some of them I can't remember off the top of my head, but this gives coaches power, create your own games, create your own resources and track it. Uh, my practices, I had, you know, the X drill layup, Joe, you start at the right elbow, mm -hmm. you shoot a layup, get your rebound, go to the left elbow, shoot a layup, go, and you go for 30 seconds or whatever. We do that and we chart it. All right. And I'll say who, how long does it take you to make 10 layups? So if you did it in, you know, uh, let's say 22 seconds and I did it in 24, you're ranked higher than me on that day. And we rank kids on that. We'll do it with a bunch of different stuff. So the skill of making a hard, powerful layup gets worked on. But that competitive juices and bragging rights to Absolutely. the next practice are in play. So yeah. Absolutely. That's that's great. I'm gonna have to send this to quite a few of my friends for sure. Um, so I'm looking at my notes here. It's something that you posted about. It's and, and we're gonna kind of circle back to the solutions part of, of the podcast. Yeah. Um, some of the ideas that you have that you said, you know, this may sound radical to some. Uh, I have the post right in front of me here. What would you say maybe your top three or four solutions are to kind of changing the way people's, you know, there's perspective and changing the way they go about this? Yeah. Yeah. So there's many different ways. Cause I've talked with coaches who live in different communities, right? If you live in a community that's rich with uh, resources, gym space, community centers, like I coached in Indiana where our high school had about 250 to 300 kids a class. So decent size. We were a 4A, which is the highest, but we were a small 4A. We had five gymnasiums in the high school. Where, where I live right now, they have 600 kids per class. So double the size we have. They have one gym in the entire school. So now all of a sudden things have to be modified, right, to, to make it happen. So what I like to do, and one of the models and solutions I think can happen is, I, I first of all, I think head coaches have to be more involved. I, I Even if they don't do all the work, they have to be organizers. You should be an organizer if you're a head coach. You should be able to get people underneath you and delegate and get things going. You should create a skill model, a skill development model, K through 12. And, it, and it's, you know, my kindergarten through second grade, primary grade kids, we did 30 to 40 minutes, 45 minutes. We had fun. My high school kids came down. We taught them how to spin a ball, how to catch a spin the ball, how to do these different things. And we just had fun with them. And then as we get going into that third, fourth, fifth grade, now we start to teach them a little bit more skills about the game, a little bit of tactical stuff. How do I play with teammates? What do I do to get out of their way or to maybe get in the way of a defender instead of screen? And then we got the, the middle school and then the high school model. We want to make sure skill is a part of it. 
Then we implement the tactical part, okay? And, and learning how to play. And then this is where I think people just can't grasp it. And every program I've been in, I've done this and it's worked magic. I put in a scrimmage model. And people say, what is that scrimmage? You scrimmage your own team? Well, yeah, you can. But what I do is I call up two or three schools local. I say, come on over Saturday morning, no money, bring your practice, reversible jersey. Um, if not, I have pennies. We come in and what we're going to do is we're going to break off and we're going to play each other and we'll rotate. But how I did it, because I'm all about having great competition, fun, but also learning and let the coaches get an identity with their team and be able to teach a little bit is we treated it like football. So when football does a scrimmage, they might start on the 20 and give one team the ball for 10 possessions and then they switch. Well, I would do that with basketball. Half court, Jared, your team has the ball first. You get 10 plays. I've got 10 defensive plays. We get to teach each other, coach each other's team and work on it. Then we flip flop. Then after that, we'll run for about 10 minutes. It's just open play. Then I go immediately into two minute games. So you got the ball, you're up four. Okay, we're down by four, your ball, let's play. How do we figure that out? Then we'll do the same thing. And I'll usually do four to five 30 second games. Your ball, you have to take it out three quarter court. My team's up by three. Go. Your ball, take it out under your basket. You're up by one. Okay, 30 seconds to go. Ready, go. And now the kids figure stuff out. Now, when it's in a game, we've done it so many times against other teams. They're not so panicked and they kind of get what I'm talking about because I can coach them, but I can also stay in the way. And the last part of that is there's other parts. I don't allow officials. I make the kids call the fouls and the, the coaches overrule. They're like, no, 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 no. Your foot was out of bounds by a 12 inches, you're out. So the coaches can overrule, but the kids have to officiate because if you let kids go, they'll call fouls. Mm -hmm. If they hacks it, they'll call it. If it's out of bounds, they'll call it. If somebody travels, everybody, whoa, 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 and then they admit, yeah, it was a travel. So and it gives them some power and ownership for sure. And they don't argue because they're going to argue with the official. But when it's themselves, they might argue for a second. If the we give them five seconds, can't figure it out, you two are out. Next two in. So they start solving the problem really quick, you know? And so that's just an idea that has worked so well with me Amazing. and uh, with my programs and the kids love it. And, and I don't mind inviting parents in, but I tell the parents, you get loud and you start yelling at your kid, you're out. That's it. I'll never let you guys in again. And they don't, they just sit there and they appreciate the opportunity. That's awesome. Shoot. We'll end on that. That is, that is absolutely perfect. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of, a lot out of this podcast episode for sure. Uh, how can people get a hold of you if they have any questions? I, I, f I feel like there's going to be some, some coaches after this that reach out to you. What's the best way to get a hold of you coach? Yeah, they can certainly, if they go to leetaf.com, they can find us at any time, but I, my direct email that goes straight to me, not our business is just my initials. So L T at then my name, leetaft.com. So LT at leetaft.com, that comes directly to me. And I welcome, you know, uh, questions all the time. That's that's why you and I got into phys ed and coaching mm -hmm. because we want to help. So I'm, I'm always willing to help. So I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, coach. I appreciate it. So this episode you, will be Jared. out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it'll be great. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.